All right, I want to jump into the message this morning. We are continuing our series on uh, living exiled through lessons from James, uh, the letter of James, and the sermon notes, if you want to follow along, are at that bit.ly link, bit.ly slash newdayweeklysermon, and you can follow my notes, because I don't put much up on the screen as we're doing it live streaming. Uh, The message is words and wisdom, uh, uh, James 3, words and wisdom, that's what it's about, And I'm going to be sharing three truths about our tongue and three truths about uh, godly wisdom. And so of these truths, three truths about our tongues, the first one is that the tongue is powerful. The tongue is powerful. And this is from James chapter 3, the first few verses, 1 through 5. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control uh, and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. I love that uh, this follows after the teaching that we, uh, the chapter that we covered last Uh, week about faith without works is dead. And then uh, James goes right into this idea that not many should be teachers for we will be judged more strictly. And so there's a warning about teaching or about speaking. Too often we think that teaching and, and Christ followers, especially if you're in the church and here I am standing in front of everybody or in front of a camera as it is now, and there, there is an implied importance, and it is important to have teachers, and to be a teacher is a, is a noble calling, but there's also the reality that it brings us under greater and more strict judgment. And we need to uh, not come into that thinking that teaching or expressing our opinions about something it can substitute for actually doing good works like caring for people in need or treating others with respect, which was the whole context that we find this in from the preceding chapters. Our words and our actions, especially as teachers, are going to be held to a higher standard. Our words and our actions are our actions, and he uses the word we, and so he includes himself in this warning. If you're a teacher you actually are signing up for a more strict uh, judgment and a more um, intense being held account by the Lord when we see him face to face. Teaching or talking can never be a substitute for action. That's the big idea there. That we can't think that if we just express ourselves, that's enough, even if we're talking from the pulpit. For if we could control our tongue, the word says, we would be perfect. That's a challenging scripture. 
and I think I said it a few weeks ago, that of all of our uh, uh, senses, our tongue, we actually have the most control over. We can't always control what, we're, what we see. Because things like driving down the road and there's billboards that are, you know, and there's all kinds of things. We're bombarded with images. We're bombarded with sound. And even uh, uh, touch and every sense, we have very limited ability. But God has given us the ability to keep our mouth shut. <laughs> and we are not forced to say things. And the word says if we can learn how to control that, we're actually come in to a state of maturity. And whenever you see the word perfect, especially in the New Testament, it really means coming to the fullness of what God's called you to be, to be fully mature. And this was written to Christians scattered out of, uh, throughout all of the world from their homeland out of, because of persecution, instructing them uh, how to behave during times of hardship and trial. And I don't know about you, but I've found that this season is hard. And there are many, many challenges. Uh, life has been disrupted in every aspect. Um, and even though we have the comforts of living in the most prosperous nation of the world, still, every day I'm encountering difficulties and problems that I have to solve with uh, that uh, create stress. And that stress and those difficulties produce plenty of opportunities for you and I to either demonstrate control of our words or lack thereof. And so just as these first century Christians were forced into a difficult time, and in that time, that stress produced opportunities for them. This time, and really at all times in life, we have the opportunity, the choice to choose how we speak, whether we're going to do, uh, cause our words to uh, uh, demonstrate and reflect the character and the nature of God and His Word. The tongue, though it's small, has power. That's the first truth about the tongue. It's, it's powerful like the, the bit that can control a horse. And uh, I'm familiar with that because we had horses when I grew up. And um, that little bit, man, doesn't matter how, how strong the horse was, especially a trained horse, will be very sensitive to the slightest little touch of, the, of a horse's bit or a ship, no matter how big it is or how strong the winds are blowing, if you know how to use the sails and the rudder, you can steer that ship in the way that you want it to go and the way that it should go. And so we need to see and understand and accept that uh, the tongue, our words are very, very powerful. And the way I like to say it is that, is that our words shape our world. Our words, my words, shape my world. Your words shape your world. And uh, when we speak, we have creative influence of the environment that we're in. And the reason that this is true is because we were created in the image of God. Remember the very first story of Scripture is God creating everything. And He did it through the spoken word. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And everything that was created was spoken through the Word of God. And then He created mankind in His image. And so we have, in a degree, that same creative power through our words. This is so, so vital. 
We need to accept the reality that if we're speaking curses or fears or accusation or complaint, guess what? If you speak that, you and those around you will experience those things more. Because you're reinforcing them and you're releasing the creative power that God uh, put in you uh, to reflect His nature. Or if you speak life and blessing and joy and hope and peace, you and those around you will experience more. Your words, our words, shape our world. And that is a good thing. You have the power to influence your surroundings, your circumstances, and the people around you. And it's an amazing thing if you steward it well. And this whole chapter is an exhortation to steward this authority that we've been given, this, this power that we've been given, this tool in a, in a wise way. The second truth is that the tongue is per, uh, perverse. All right, perverse. And this is uh, the following verses, 6 through 8. It says, The tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Well, that's not the most happy verse in the Bible. <laughs> but it's true. God's Word is true. And I believe that this describes the natural state of our tongues, our, our speech, apart from the influence of God's Holy Spirit. This is just the default setting that we live in, that we live with, that we're born with. Uh, because of the, the curse of sin and, our, uh, and the fallenness of mankind. And the example that every kind of animal, uh, and if you've ever gone to a, a circus back in the day, or SeaWorld, and you know, whales can be trained to jump and flip and do all these amazing things. But you know what? It's much more difficult to tame and to train our tongue. In fact, the Word says it's impossible. And that means it's impossible uh, without the help of God. And this is sp said in such a strong way to get our attention. As Christ followers, we are not exempt from the, um, from the corruption, from the perverseness of our tongue. And we need to accept and take responsibility that that default setting is something we need to... Um, discipline ourselves and train ourselves and exercise faith to bring it under the submission of the Holy Spirit. And so this is meant to get our attention because we're not exempt, but it's not meant to discourage us. All right, It's meant to encourage us and to teach us the truth. I think that uh, the idea that uh, we come in that default setting of, setting of our tongue being under the influence of, uh, of perversity brings all the more importance to the idea, and I, I can't teach through it, but this idea of speaking in tongues as an expression of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so that is literally yielding your tongue to the influence of the Holy Spirit in direct contrast 
with the natural setting of yielding your tongue to the influence of the flesh and of perversity. And so speaking in tongues, I encourage you, if you've never experienced that or if you've experienced that but you don't do it daily, uh, do some study on it. Uh, jump into the uh, uh, teachings that we offer. Come and talk to me because speaking in tongues is a way that we um, can uh, get used to allowing our tongue to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Point number three, I thought that was a good point. <laughs> point number three is the tongue is polluted. The tongue is polluted. The tongue is powerful. The tongue is perverse. And the tongue is polluted. And this is James, the next few verses, 9 through 12. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. And sometimes it curses those who have been named, who have been, have been made in the image of God. And I just want to stop and say, you know what? In my experience, even as a Christian now for, oh, close to, well, yeah, 39 years, close to 40 dec four decades of serving Jesus and over three decades in ministry, I certainly praise the Lord and the Father with my tongue, but sometimes I say things that are cutting and uh, 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 insulting, intentionally or unintentionally. Nevertheless, this happens. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. And so he's just comparing it to some natural things that this, this ought not to be. In fact, he says, this is not right. This is not right. James is describing this not to make us feel hopeless, but it's in Scripture to teach us how to be holy. All right? it, is a, it is a strong rebuke, but it's there for a reason. This is not right, and Christ came to make us right. Jesus speaks about this same idea when he's talking to the Pharisees and, 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 the, and the religious people of his day. This is found in Matthew 12, verse 33. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart, boom, boom, decides what you say. Verse 35, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this. You must give account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Well, if that doesn't uh, get your attention and your concern, uh, you probably are not awake. All right? And I believe this is true. I believe this is true for every man, woman, and child, whether they're a Christ follower or not. We will give a, an account for every word and it's important that it's every idle word. And that means it's words that come out without uh, you know, really thinking it through. Uh, my sermon, I've worked 
hours and hours selecting the words to say, and I'm, you know, try very hard to say the right words because everyone's listening and I want to get it right. But there's times when things just come out of my mouth that hurt other people. And of course, sometimes we're called into account right then and we have to, uh, um, we have to repair relationship. But ultimately, we will stand, I will stand before Jesus and give an account for every idle word. It doesn't mean my salvation is at risk. It means that in my relationship with Jesus, every word I say, I'll have to answer. And we're going to have a talk about it. Because I need to make sure, and he needs to make sure, and I want to be completely right in every way. And so this is one of those promises of Scripture. And it comes from the abundance, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when bad words, accusations, defilements, complaints, um, uh, curses, when any of that comes out, you have to own what Jesus said in that there's something in your heart that's being reflected by your words. And so it's not just this, you know, I'm just not going to say anything. <laughs> it's deal with the issues of your heart so that you have a treasury, you have a storehouse of good in you, that that is overflowing and flowing out of your heart. And in Christ, you know, we are new creations. Jesus came to set us free from the perversity of our tongue, all right, from the pollution and the corruption of our flesh. Jesus Christ died on that cross and he took the penalty and the power of the sin uh, uh, for us so that we could live free from this curse. And we are new creations in Christ. Whoever comes to Christ, he or she is a new creation. That means that those default settings have been rebooted. And we have the freedom to step into that new creation identity. And, and begin to speak creatively life and blessing and forgiveness and truth and calling people into their best identity rather than calling out their worst. We have the power to, to change others, to change ourselves, and I believe even change the environment that we live in by our words. And that is amazing and that's a good thing that we need to learn how to step into that and bear much fruit. The scripture now changes and begins to talk about three truths concerning godly wisdom. And this is a small, uh, short quote um, from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It says, A key to right talk is right thought. The tongue is contained in a cage of teeth and lips, but it still escapes. <laughs> It is not intelligence that keeps the lock on that cage. It is wisdom. A wisdom characterized by humility, grace, and peace. And those are the three, three truths about uh, godly wisdom that we're going to look at. The first one is that wisdom, godly wisdom, is humble. I want to say, everybody say it with me. Godly wisdom is humble. Did you say it at home? I hope so. And this is from verse 13, where it says, If you are wise and understanding God's ways, prove it by living in an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. 
Um, again, from the Bible Knowledge Commentary, it says, Here is an original show and tell. Wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. It is not a matter of acquiring truth in lectures, but applying truth in life. The good life and deeds are best portrayed in the humility of wisdom. Humility is such an essential aspect of wisdom and must be an essential aspect of all of our speech. Everything we do and say as Christ followers should display primarily a spirit of humility. Think of the humility that Jesus Christ our Lord demonstrated when He humbled Himself and came down from heaven and took on human form. And then humbled Himself to become a servant. He washed His disciples' feet. He healed the sick. He taught. And He he labored to communicate truth. But the real humility that He showed was when He took upon Himself our sin and was allowed, he allowed himself to be crucified and to die in our place. What humility Jesus Christ demonstrated. And we are to follow his footsteps. And so we are to be humble in all that we do and say. Second point is that wisdom is gracious. Wisdom is full of grace. And this is verse 14 through 16. It says, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, sensual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. The opposite of godly wisdom is earthly, not heavenly. That means it's based on the principles of this world uh, and not the principles of God's kingdom. Uh, The opposite of godly wisdom is sensual, not spiritual. Sensual. So that means it's based on what feels good or feels right as opposed to what God says is good and right. It's demonic, not divine. It flows from the rebellion that was uh, motivated the enemy and from the devil himself or uh, his followers or the system the enemy has created, as opposed to the goodness of God. It's, it's jealous, overly concerned uh, with others, Um, what they have or what they're doing and seeking a way to uh, undermine them. That's what jealousy is. You're just so overly concerned with others. Or uh, it manifests selfish ambition. This is the opposite of godly wisdom. It's selfish. It's overly concerned with your own condition. More concerned with protecting your rights or what is yours than helping others and being willing to sacrifice, live a life of sacrifice like our Lord Jesus did for the benefit of others. And then it says it leads to disorder or confusion. And that can also be translated instability or or tumult, caught up in the swirl of all the influences. And frankly, 
I'm really glad we're teaching through James um, during this season, and uh, the teaching team, the pastors gathered together, we prayerfully, we had another series scheduled, but we really felt that, boy, James really tackles a lot of the issues that we are facing in this time of pandemic, and stay-at-home orders that many of us disagree with, some of us agree with, and there's all this stress and tumult and confusion going on worldwide. (laughs) And getting sucked into that, all of these things that I just listed characterize words and actions that are contrary to the gracious wisdom of God. As Christ followers, we're called to speak and act in ways that produce grace and not get sucked into those other attributes that are so prevalent in the world. The last truth about godly wisdom is that it's peaceable. Wisdom is peaceable. Uh, From uh, verse 17 and 18, the wisdom from above is first of all pure It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That's an incredible promise, saints. If we think we are representing God's truth, but are not peaceable, gentle, and willing to yield, then you're not representing God's wisdom and truth. It doesn't matter what words are coming out of your mouth. If it's not peaceable, if it's not bringing reconciliation, if it's not gentle, if people don't feel safe around you, and if it's not willing to yield, that there's an evidence of humility... That even if the facts are correct, you're actually operating contrary to the Spirit of God. And it will not produce what you want. Full of mercy means compassionate, kind, having the desire to do good for those uh, that you are interacting with or those you are talking about, especially those under duress or affliction. And so if our words and our actions don't demonstrate mercy and compassion, then we're not speaking out of godly wisdom. And so good deeds need to be the evidence of the mercy and and the love of God that we've received through our relationship with Him. We're called to be peacemakers. I love how it says that peacemakers will plant seeds of peace. You know, when you plant a seed, you don't instantly get the fruit. It takes time. And so you constantly, consistently speak truth in a way that's peaceable, gentle, and willing to lead. And if you do that, you will reap a harvest, a harvest of righteousness. Where we are uh, emotionally often reveals which side of the wisdom scale we're being influenced And everyone is influenced, as long as we're in this life, until we get to be with Jesus fully on uh, in the resurrection. We're we're influenced by evil. We're influenced by the Holy Spirit. And I just want to give you a little hint here that where you are emotionally is a great indicator of which uh, uh, spirit you're being influenced by primarily. Are you being influenced by demonic, earthly, 
uh, wisdom or are you being influenced by uh, heavenly uh, wisdom? If you're angry about what others, others are doing and upset about your condition or the cost that you're paying and the sacrifices that you're called, if you're in a state of tumult uh, or if there's disorder in your life and anxiety, then it's, then it's possible, it's not always, but it's possible You've come under the influence of something more earthly, something more sensual, or possibly even demonic. The enemy wants to use the stress and the strains and the trials that we're experiencing to bring division. That's the enemy's strategy. He doesn't care about uh, the economy. He doesn't care about politics. He just wants to break people's spirits. And we can stand up against that by, by relying on godly wisdom. And so if you're feeling that, You need to say, wait a minute, I I must not be fully under the influence of godly wisdom if I'm feeling so so tumultuous within me. It doesn't mean that we agree with everyone or that we are not able to express our opinions frankly and forthrightly, but we do so in a gentle way toward the goal of peace and in a way that uh, demonstrates that, you know, we're willing to yield, to give some room, If we're primarily at peace and gentle and yielding, full of compassion and sincere, then that, if that's where we are emotionally in our interactions when we're thinking about all these problems and and, uh, stuff that we have to deal with, um, whether it be this pandemic or whether it be uh, issues in your family or at your workplace, uh, that means you're following the influence of the Holy Spirit. We all face the same problems in life. It's how we respond to them and who we go to or what we turn to for help in those problems that reveal where our loyalty is, but also who we are listening to for advice. And this, although it's not in the text that we're uh, in James, this came to mind because I believe that, you know, this is a strong message. It confronts our behavior, our language, and um, really confronts where many of us are struggling to deal with the consequences of uh, decisions that are out of our control and the whole pandemic. Um, And maybe, and just dealing with our tongues and the difficulty of of learning how to keep, uh, how to to bring our tongues, our words, our thoughts, our actions into alignment with God's character. And that's a struggle. And I think that it's important to understand that Jesus is there with us. He came and walked through a life and he endured the same temptations that we face and he endured trials and troubles that really go far beyond what you and I are called to do. He faced that every one of his followers abandoned him. One was a traitor and turned him in and then he was wrongfully tried, beaten, and crucified on that cross. And we haven't come close to that in what we've suffered for the gospel's sake. So Jesus has, has, has walked the walk. And then he says to us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, powerful verse, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. So this, this legitimatizes our feelings. You may be sick and tired of all of this. It's all right. You're weary. You're heavy. You're carrying a heavy burden. I can't handle it anymore. Jesus said, okay, that means come to me. 
He invites you to come to him when you're feeling that way. And I will give you rest. He's going to take that burden from us. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says. And let me teach you. Because I'm humble. Like James talked about. I'm gentle at heart. And you will find rest or peace for your soul. My yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. Yes, there is a burden to following Christ. But it's so light compared to carrying the weight of our own lives on our own shoulders. And if you're listening to me this morning, I strongly encourage you to accept this invitation to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And how you do that is simply say, you have to say it in your heart. I think you need to say it out loud. And say, Jesus, I come to you. Take my weariness. Take my burden. I confess that I believe that you are who you said you are and that you died on the cross for my sins. And I commit my life to follow you, to take your yoke upon me. Jesus, teach me because I want your gentleness. I want your rest and I want your peace. And that's yielding your life to Jesus. And when you do that, he can day by day teach you how to walk a life of godly wisdom and train your tongue to speak truth. I'm going to turn this over to Merrily to close the service. God bless you. See you next week when we talk through chapter 4 of James.